Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Presented by Progressive Insurance with the great Doc Emmerich, our legendary voice of the day, coming up in a half hour on the Goodyear Hotline. I have so many things I want to get in here. I'm going to jump right into them, and I will start with something I hadn't been planning. But as I was just listening, as I hope you were too, to Christine Lisi's Sports Center, I'm just hearing for the first time about how baseball is going to honor Lou Gehrig today with a special day in his honor and a patch and raise a bunch of money for ALS. That's just fabulous. Um, as one who loves the history of sports and in particular the history of the Yankees, I have two parents raised in the Bronx, neither of whom are old enough to have seen Gehrig, but, but that is a name, that is a legend, that is a story, that is a person who has been an enormous figure in my life just as long as I've been alive. Um, and, of course, made the most famous speech, I think the greatest speech ever made in the history of sports on the day that he said he considers himself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Uh, so I think that's wonderful. No sport does a better job of celebrating its own history and, and its own legacy, and so good for them. I, I was just hearing that for the first time. Good for them. Uh, very quickly, on, on a completely different note, but I also just wanted to send along my best wishes and the best wishes from everyone here for our, our former colleague Aaron Boone. Now, of course, the Yankee manager. You're probably aware that he, during his career, had to go get away from baseball because he had to have a heart surgery and now has announced he's taking a brief absence. I mean, it, from what I understand, it's going to be a very brief medical leave to have a pacemaker installed. I don't know a lot about this. I do know a little bit about heart issues. This is not one I know anything about. But I do know that Aaron Boone's a great guy, terrific manager, but more importantly, he's a great guy. He was a great friend to many of us here at ESPN. And so I saw that yesterday, and I just wanted to send along my best wishes to him and his family to get through this circumstance speedily, and hopefully we'll see him back in the dugout soon. Then I just, I have a bone to pick. And, and again, it is with my favorite person, and that is my wife. So, hashtag Bubba, you know, we've had these conversations before. A couple of weeks ago, Chris Canty, whom the, everyone in New York obviously knows Chris. He hosts the morning show on ESPN Radio New York, and he's a terrific NFL player for years. And he has started doing my TV show with me a lot lately. And, and he was on Get Up with me this morning, and he was in the studio. Bubba, did you happen to see any of that? Yeah, I missed that one. But, well, well, you uh, missed that one. What you need to do is learn to to deflect. You should at least you should pretend at least that you watched some of my show this morning. I, I don't how you could have missed all of that. I have no idea. But anyway, have you ever been anywhere near Chris Canty? No. Okay. Again, you need to be a little quicker on the responses here, Bob. I have a lot of things I'm trying to get done. Chris Canty is six foot eight. He weighs three hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah, big guy, big and, guy. And so now, at one point today, he's sitting on one side of me, and Keyshawn Johnson is sitting on the other side of me. And for the second time, my wife has chosen to take a picture of that and post it on Twitter and make a joke about how small I look. And I'm not going to lie to you. For anyone to do that, kind of rubs me the wrong way. For your wife to do it, not a good feeling. I'm, I'm not. I, I think I speak. And again, Bubba, you're a noted marriage counselor, and you've written several right. books on the subject. Yeah. Can you explain how it makes a man feel to have his wife say, my husband looks small? Yeah, I mean, I think it's easily summed up by saying it's not a good feeling. Not a good feeling. That's, that's, and that is exactly why you have won so many uh, awards for your work in this field. But again, so if you go to her Twitter, at StacyGSG, she has a picture of me sitting between Keyshawn Johnson, who's enormous, and Chris Canty, who is a hotel. He's not even a person. He's like, he's, he's a... He, he's, he, He's the biggest person you've ever seen in your life. And she wrote on there, look how small Michael looks or something like that. 
I, I, and it, I'm not going to lie to you. It's frustrating. I am frustrated by this. This is going to be an issue. So I just felt like I needed to say that, and we will see as the day goes on how that turns out. All right, Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio. I, I'm, I'm getting a lot of pushback on what I have made my, my primary principle today. In fact, Chris Canty said I was nuts. Let me set up the story for you again. Joe Douglas is the general manager of the Jets. The Jets kind of control the NFL draft. Number one is what it is. Trevor Lawrence is going number one to Jacksonville. God bless him. He'll either be great or he won't. That's done. The draft then begins at number two. What will the Jets do with the second pick? They have a huge decision to make. They have Sam Darnold sitting there. The new general manager is Joe Douglas, who, when he was asked if he would consider offers for Sam Darnold, made no secret of it. I will answer the call if it's made. As it pertains to Sam, Sam's, a we think, a dynamic player in this league with unbelievable talent and who's really, really has a chance to really hit his outstanding potential moving forward. Like I said earlier, if calls are made, I, I will I will answer them. All right, and that's fair, and that's the right thing for him to say. He should say that. And obviously, if someone offers you something that I wouldn't expect for Sam Darnold, then you have to consider it. But let me make my case of why they should give him another year. They should trade the second pick. I give you two recent instances of teams trading up to take a quarterback number two. Now, this does not involve the Bears moving up one spot from three to two to take Mitchell Trubisky. And I apologize to everyone in Chicago for even mentioning that. I know how painful that is, especially right now, as you are pursuing Deshaun Watson, whom they passed on that year. But that's neither here nor there. Two previous instances. 2016, the Eagles traded up with Cleveland for the rights to draft Carson Wentz, number two overall. In exchange, the Browns got two ones, a two, a three, and a four. Let me say that again. Two ones, a two, a three, and a four. Prior to that, 2012, the Rams made a deal with Washington, what is now known as the Washington football team, for the second overall pick, which turned into Robert Griffin III. They were going up there to get RG3. The Rams, in exchange, got got three ones, if you include the one that got swapped that year, but it was a swap, so let's say two ones and a two. If so, let's, let's say that rehabilitating Sam Darnold is a 50-50 bet. I think it's 50-50. He has been placed in a position in which no one could succeed. He has been on terrible teams that were generally tanking for most of the time he was there. He's been through two rebuilds. He's only been there three years. He's been through two coaches, three offensive coordinators, and he had Adam Gase, who, again, he may be a very nice guy. I hate to keep picking on him, but he I've never seen anyone do any job worse than Adam Gase did his job as the coach of the Jets. I'm telling you right now, we have no idea if Sam Darnold could be a good quarterback or not. So let's say it's a 50-50 proposition. Quarterbacks in the draft are a 50-50 proposition. These two trades were made for RG3 and Carson Wentz. How did those turn out? You think either of those teams feel real good about what they gave up for that? So my point is, trade the pick, get a king's ransom for it, put a real team around Sam Darnold with a real coach and coaching staff, and take your shot. I think it makes sense. And, and, and I don't say that as a fan of the team. I say it as an analyst of sports. I think it makes sense. That's what I think they should do. 
Find out what you think as we continue here. We're really busy. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Again, Doc Emmerich is coming up and up next. There's something you're going to need to explain to me because I don't understand it. That's on the way. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute, but Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Brainstorm. What is something that works so well that it's basically magic? Air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to all other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greenie, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greenie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greenie. Greenie, the podcast. Greeny with you. In exactly 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to explain something to me that I don't fully understand. And the great Doc Emmerich is going to join me as this hour continues. So we're busy here. But right now, a quick word from Granger. For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call 800 Granger, 1 800 Granger. You can click on Granger.com or you can just stop by. I need you to listen carefully. I just want you to know. All right, there's something I just want you to know, or in this case, there's something I think I want to know. So every now and again, when people will comment on things that I say on Twitter or just send me notes on Twitter, uh, every now and again, I will see them. I, I, I made a whole big deal yesterday of how I, I try and avoid most of that as I can because Twitter is unfortunately such a cesspool, and it is a shame because there's so much lovely interaction that I genuinely enjoy that you wind up missing as a result. But I do see some things. And so, Bubba, I want to bring you in on this conversation because for those who don't know, uh, hashtag Bubba, our board operator, is 
among many other things, you are uh, you have, are very well educated in the areas of social media. You've done a great deal of research into all this and some of the terminology that is used on there regularly. In fact, you were a, a part of creating. So there's just something I'd like to know. So uh, yesterday, someone tweeted something at me, very nice, and I happened to glance at his bio, and this is how he described himself: youth baseball coach, dog person, follower of Christ. Yanks, Giants, Knicks, foodie. Foodie. Now, not only doesn't that seem to fit with all the other things, but I'm who am I to judge? But here's the question I have. What exactly makes a person a foodie? Like, that's an expression I hear all the time. I have so many friends who describe themselves as foodies, but I don't really know what that means. Like, I love food. I eat food like crazy. I eat far more food. I would say I, I, I would safely say I eat more food pound for pound than all of these huge jocks who come in here every single day. They're all bigger than me, but I eat more food for the most part than they do. And I love it. I savor food. I make a very big deal of food. When I wake up in the morning, I think about what I'm having for breakfast. While I'm having breakfast, I'm thinking about what I'm having for lunch. When I'm having lunch, I'm thinking about what I'm having for dinner. When I'm having dinner, I'm thinking about what I'm having for a a dessert. So I love food. Does that, Bubba, in your learned and expertise, does that qualify me as a foodie? No, I think the difference is the word think. You're thinking about all those things. Right. But you're not telling people. A foodie is always telling people whether they're posting about it or they're talking about it. They're always telling people what they're eating or they're posting about what they're eating or they're, you know, they're, they're calling someone up or, te- hey, I just made this or have you tried Let this? Let me ask a question That's about that. a foodie. Yes, but isn't that... That strikes me as a very pretentious thing to do. Is that pretentious in your in your I mean, expertise? Hey, I'm not looking to hang out with too many foodies, you know, but that's just me. <laughs> I'm with you. Like I believe I'm a foodie. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, keep it to yourself. What do you want to eat? I, keep it to yourself. This I is what care. I'm saying. I, I enjoy food as much as anyone I know. Yeah, we need it to survive. Thanks, pal. I, cool. But see, to me, it's much more than that. See, no, I love food. I know a lot of people who eat just because you have to eat. I know a lot of people who eat like I won't do these diets that everybody does and stuff because food life is too short. Like it's not to me. Life is not worth living if I can't eat things I like. I like food. So I believe that makes me a foodie. I believe that from this day forward, Bubba, are you comfortable? I don't think you want to be a foodie. Again, that's the thing here. I think just just be happy with enjoying food, but not telling people. I want to be a foodie. I think I want to be a foodie. No, you don't. You don't. Tell me why I don't want to be a foodie. All these people who describe themselves as foodies, they're all so proud of it. Exactly. It's in their bio. Every single one of these people. Exactly. You don't want to be proud. It's not something to be proud of. You don't need to be telling people what you're making, what you're eating, all that stuff. Just just be happy with your your consuming food. You don't need to tell the world about it. Let me ask you a question. It's almost lunch. What are you having for lunch today, Bubba? That's a good question. I don't know. I haven't even looked at. It. I don't. I'm not. I don't. I'm not a foodie. I don't know. I'll see what the calf has. I'll pick something to move on. I'm not going to tell Devin. I'm not going to call Nuno. I'm not going to tweet it out. I don't know. Okay, fair enough. So you're not a foodie. I believe I'm I am. For the rest of, the, for, I, I would like from now forward, from this day forward, I would like to be described as a foodie. Oh, you don't. don't I, do I, I think I do. I'm going to change the image of being a foodie. I don't think a foodie needs to be pretentious. A foodie is just someone for whom food is one of the most important things in their life. I mean, if you're able to do that. That's what I'm doing. That'll be a... This is my goal. You deserve a lot of credit. If you can change 
What a food he is. I'm doing it. All I'm, right. uh, we'll beginning today. We'll check back in uh, March 4th, 2022 and see if the definition has changed. We are changing the meaning of being a foodie. We're changing what it feels like, what it means to others for people to describe themselves as foodies. I'm going to put together a committee to look into exactly how we do that. Bubba, I'd like you to chair that committee if you have the time. We are going to redefine a term that I think people view as as one thing that should be another. We're going to change the meaning of a foodie. Meantime, give me some football music, Bubba, because I want to run through the five things I told you on TV today. I did a little modified green list on television of the five things that I think should, could, or will happen in the NFL in what is going to be a wild offseason. Number five. I just talked about it. I believe the Jets should trade the second pick in the draft and stick with Sam Darnold for another season. You can get a king's ransom for that second pick. History says it, and there are quarterbacks there people want. No, there's no more evidence that they're going to be great than there is that Sam could be resuscitated. I say take the King's ransom, trade the second pick. Number four. The Bears need to move heaven and earth to get to Sean Watson. They need to do it now. They need to do it this minute. They need to call Nick Casario and they need to say, you're blowing this. When free agency begins and other teams start making their decisions and they start signing quarterbacks, you're going to lose leverage. I'm here to tell you, this is my best offer. Take it right now and make it whatever he needs it to be. Trade a bunch of picks and a bunch of good young players and find a way after 101 years. You're a founding franchise in the history of the sport as the Decatur Staley's. 101 years later, finally get a great quarterback. The Bears need to find a way to get to Sean at all costs. Number three. Three of the Cowboys, I think, need to consider getting Russell Wilson. They've blown it on Dak. Dak has it, it's become too pricey. You could pay him $38 million this year to walk away and get nothing next year. Nothing for him. There's no reason to think he's going to take a hometown discount. And frankly, who would if they were in his shoes? So I believe the best option that is out there for you is Russell Wilson has said publicly, his agent on the record said he wants to be a cowboy. Find a way to make it happen. Number two. This one is more wishful thinking than anything, but I would like to see Matt Ryan reunite with Kyle Shanahan. The Falcons need to start over anyway. Let them draft a quarterback and let Ryan find his way to San Francisco. He and Shanahan have unfinished business. They could win a Super Bowl together, and I'd like to see that for Matty Ice. Number one. Finally, the Eagles are going to be the worst team in the NFL next year. They're in cap hell and everything else. They need to trade the sixth pick in the draft and go with Jalen Hurts for a year. I don't care who's still available. Trevor Lawrence ain't falling there, and outside of him, I wouldn't do it. I would trade that six-pick, start building it up again. You're going to have to cut a bunch of players next week. Just watch for that. Salary cap casualties. It is time to start all over again in Philadelphia. Trade the six-pick and go for one more year with Jalen Hurts. Give him a chance to prove he's the guy. Those are five things that I would like to see happen in the NFL, and I believe most of them will in the next couple of weeks. The great Doc Emmerich live next. Don't miss it on ESPN Radio. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
From the Launch Your Online Shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, our guest on the Goodyear Hotline. And all week long, we are doing our legendary voices uh, series. And Bubba, do we have something ready for that here today as we can continue that with uh, we had a wonderful week with that as we've led forward to it. Bubba, do we have something prepared for that today? Bubba, we unfortunately, Bubba, who was busy with all the different things that he does, was not prepared today to play the open that we have put together for these legendary voices. Uh, we are pleased to welcome in here on the good Doc Emmerich is going to join me. See, we're fumfering around here, Bubba, because you didn't play the open, which I was expecting. Let's do that now, please. The moments and the voices behind them. He This is Legendary Voices Week with Greeny. Coming to you live from the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17, and there we go. That is the appropriate introduction for one of the most legendary announcers in the history of any sport, and certainly for multiple generations, the voice of his, the legendary NHL announcer, Doc Emmerich, is with me here on ESPN Radio. What a pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you so much for taking some time for me. It's great to talk to you and go cats. Go, go cats. Absolutely. And every, yeah, cons- I, I wanted to go to Northwestern, okay. uh, but I did not. Uh, I went other places, uh, a number of schools. If I sang all my school songs, we'd be past the half hour. Uh, but you only had one to sing and it was a very proud one indeed. And, uh, growing up in Indiana, I heard the, all about the bears and they didn't go back far enough because, uh, uh, the Bears played at Wrigley Field when I was growing up. I was a Bears fan. Our coach was George Hallis, and our announcer was Red Grange. Mm, my goodness. What, what, what Long a time ago. Let's start there then, Doc. That wasn't where I planned to start, but let's do it. Take, take me to uh, your, your voice is so incredibly familiar to everyone, and your sensibility, I think, is so, um, it's so approachable. It's, uh, tell me how it started. How, how did your love for sports, your love for the National Hockey League in particular, how did it begin? Where did it all start for you? Well, in, in a rural town in Indiana of 600, we were very much like uh, the era of the movie Hoosiers. It was the same size town. There were 13 celebrities in town, the 12 varsity members of the team and the coach. Mm. Uh, unlike Normandale, our coach did get fired in the middle of the year. There was a student walkout in the high school and the coach was rehired a few mm. days later. It was that sort of bombastic sort of small town that revolved around basketball. And you couldn't help but be a sports fan surrounded by that. We were near Chicago, as you could probably appreciate having gone to Northwestern. And so uh, our teams, we were 130 miles from Chicago, but our teams were largely Chicago based at that time. 
and um, television was just in its infancy. And so even though the pictures were snowy, my brother and I watched everything that moved when it came to sports. And uh, I wanted to be a baseball announcer until I saw hockey for the first time. I was 14. It was a minor league team in Fort Wayne, Indiana that I'm uh, still a fan of to this day. And that's partly the orange jersey that you see peeking out of the corner there, the Fort Wayne Comets. And it was at that point that I saw my first game of hockey that I wanted to be a hockey announcer. You can imagine the high school guidance counselor in rural Indiana hearing uh, that a student wanted to grow up to be a professional hockey announcer. It mm. didn't really compute too much, Greeny. But at what point did you realize you would do it? I, I've told this story many times. When I was young, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm younger than you are, of course, but, but when I was young, uh, the idea of doing what I do for a living now seemed so far-fetched that when I told my grandmother this is what I wanted to do, she said, and I quote, why can't you do something good? When I said I wanted to be a sports announcer. So t take me back to that. At what point did you realize not only was this something you could dream of doing, but that you actually could and would do? Well, I, I wound up uh, going to Fort Wayne and sitting in an empty section and doing games to myself. Mm -hmm. And um, a guy named Bob Chase, who broadcast the Fort Wayne games, would uh, confer with me every once in a while over these tapes. And, and I got the idea that maybe I could do it. It was just a matter of getting a chance. And after about 10 years, I finally got my first chance in a town called Port Huron, Michigan. But my parents were both teachers. And shortly after my wife and I, of 42 years, got married, uh, one summer, my dad got my wife aside and asked whether she thought I would ever get a real job. <laughs> so it was similar to what your grandmother asked you. <laughs> I, I think to uh, people that have steady jobs, this translates as something that's sort of uncertain and risky, but it's fun. You get in free, you get a good seat for the game, and you get to work with exciting people. And you also, uh, I found later on in life, you get something in the mail every uh, couple of weeks. It's great. <laughs> but just getting paid for something doesn't necessarily make it a job. So I would ask you that question. What was the answer as you look back on your life? Did you ever get a real job or has this all been something other than what one might describe as a job? Yeah, this was not a job. It was it was fun to go to work every day. And it sounds Pollyanna. Sure, there are times that the travel would wear you down. And the thing that excited me in 1980 when I got into the NHL after seven years in the minors was not riding buses anymore. It was riding on airplanes. Mm. And after a while, that got to be difficult. There was one time when I was 65, which was some time ago, Greeny, mm. uh, that I did eight games in 10 days in eight different cities. And to do it right, you had to be at the morning practices at 1030. So that meant going through the metal detector early in the morning. And this was after 9-11. And so it was much more difficult to go through security and be there in the morning. But I'm not wanting anybody to feel sorry for him. It was just the challenge of, of doing that. And travel became harder. And so it wore on you a little more as you got a little bit older. And I used to, when I was in my 30s, hear people in their 60s talk like that. And I just sort of smirked and yeah. walked away. And when I was in my 60s, I didn't smirk at it anymore. <laughs> but the, the job was so much fun that I never really felt like I was tired. It was... It, it's hard to describe, but occasionally, like you, I'm sure, I get a chance to go and either virtually now or in the old days uh, a year ago, go on campuses and speak to journalism classes. And sometimes I'll ask 
them, if the class is small enough, to stand up and talk about the very first event of any size that they got to attend when they were kids. And maybe who took them to the game? What do they remember about walking into that first stadium or first arena the first time? And it's amazing the detail that they'll recall the first time they go to an event. Who played? Do you remember any of the players? Do you remember who won? And the detail they'll remember, and invariably, they will recall the whole story with a smile on their face. And then I'll say to them, multiply that times 40 years, and you've got me. And aspire to do this, and don't give up, because it's really, really worth it. It's great. It's a beautiful story. Doc Emmerich is with us on the Goodyear Hotline. Goodyear celebrating March deal days with month-long service and savings. Visit GoodyearAutoService.com for offers. So I, I want to go through some of the, of the legendary moments. When, when someone today, when one of those students says, what is the one moment from your career, the one game or event that you broadcast that stands out more than any other? What's the answer to that? Well, I'm a hockey guy, and probably the proudest I was ever to be around the sport. Uh, I'm not, I don't evaluate what I do, but I was, the proudest I ever was, was on the day of the gold medal game in 2010, Mm. when the two powers of North America, Canada and the United States met in Vancouver. And the reason for that was uh, NBC recorded 27 million people watching. And part of the reason for that was it was the day of the closing ceremony in Vancouver. It was not halfway around the world. So the time zone made it convenient for so many people to watch. And it was the hockey game that was going to be played before the closing ceremony. And so you had these best professionals from Canada and the best professionals from the United States and the greatest elements of hockey in that It was the last minute of the game. It was a one-goal game, and Canada was ahead. The goalie was pulled, and out of a net mouse scramble, Zach Parisi scored for the United States to force overtime. Now there's an intermission, and the Zamboni's going back and forth. And anyone that hasn't been watching is probably being texted by somebody else saying, have you seen this game? I mean, it's going to (laughs) overtime for the gold medal. And it goes into a few minutes of overtime. Sidney Crosby scores. Canada wins. And there's a time factor before the medals are handed out. And uh, Pierre Maguire, who was working for the Canadian network that day, but had worked for us during the whole time, uh, did some interviews and we carried a couple of those. And one of them was with Crosby and one of them was with Brian Miller, the U.S. goalie who was brilliant through the whole tournament. And they just spoke so wonderfully about the sport, about the competition in the Olympics and about the game and everything else. And I thought to myself, For someone who has not followed the sport that much, they get a chance to see the best parts of a game of hockey, the uncertainty of it all, and the fact that these guys are playing for the gold medal, and they get two of the best statesmen that we could have for the sport speaking about it after the game is over. And so that was one of the proudest times that I think I was ever around hockey. I remember it well. And I, it was a time where more people to my, in the circle in which I travel, were talking about the sport and talking about that game and that day than at any, practically any other time I can remember. Greeny and the great Doc Emmerich, who's with us here on Legendary Voices Week. Four years later, you were on the call for the TJ Oshie shootout game. And that's another one that as I was <laughs> asking people, when I was asking people, which are the moments that from, from Doc Emmerich's career do you remember the most vividly? That is another one that people always remember. What, what will you always remember about that game? 
Well, TJ was rushed from the celebration after onto numerous interview shows that were taking place over in Sochi, and the time difference was nine hours. And so time passes, and he's, he's interviewed, and, and he kept saying, you guys are making too much of this. Well, he was told, had this been a game in outside the preliminary round, uh, you would probably be as big as Mike Aruzioni was in 1980 in Lake Placid. Mm -hmm. But anyway, time passes, and we all come back to the States, and TJ is with the Blues in Chicago. And so uh, we're doing that game on NBC, and at the morning practice, um, I got him aside, and I said, so I noticed before one of the shots that you were taking of the six that you took in the shootout that you had a big smile on your face. And he said, well, it was getting kind of funny, wasn't it? And I thought, no, it wouldn't seem like it was getting funny to me. It was a lot of pressure, but he thought it was funny. And I said, was this the best thing that ever happened to you in your life? And he said, shortly after I returned, I saw the birth of my first child. That was the biggest thing. That was awesome. Hmm. And I thought it was nothing like putting everything in perspective, is there? Greeny and the great Doc Emmerich, who is with me here, you know, and as I listen to you talk, and it's interesting, I had not known that your parents were, <clears throat> pardon me, were both teachers, but you are known to use literally hundreds of verbs to describe the action as you are calling all of these games. Is that where, how did that begin? Is it, did that come from your parents or either of them, for example, an English teacher um, and, and, and your mastery of the language, where did that begin and how did you decide you were going to use that to describe this game? Oh, I don't know. It's not conspiratorial at all. I I did. I never went into the booth with a list of words. Um, a couple of things. I had a fifth grade teacher named Una McClurg in that little town who said, any word you use five times becomes yours for life. I remembered that. And when I was at Miami University, one of the many school songs that I won't sing today, <laughs> uh, I was traveling back and forth to Dayton. I got a pass to see the Dayton Gems in the IHL. And I would talk to anybody in the press box and their announcer, Lyle Stieg, who later went on to do a year of the Washington Capitals, uh, said, if you can come up with different ways to say the same thing, because when we broadcast hockey, there are so many repetitive actions that if you say dumped in from center ice, every time it's dumped in from center ice, you'll drive people nuts. So I took that to heart and I never wrote anything out, but just the raw number of doing 3,700 games, uh, you're going to find different ways to say things, and then they become yours for life. And so just as I got older and did more games, uh, my vocabulary varied. It's just the way that I talk. Uh, I tried not to use any words longer than marmalade because one of my producers, John Shannon, once told me, don't use words that are bigger than three syllables. But uh, I tried not to do that. Sometimes I failed. But uh, so that was the reason that there were so many varied ones by the time that I got gray haired and lost what hair I had. <laughs> Doc Emmerich is with us here. My, my favorite tradition. Well, my two favorite traditions in the National Hockey League. The first is the handshake line at the end of a playoff series. Um, I remember covering one years and years ago. The, the Blackhawks, when I was covering sports in Chicago, lost a heartbreaking series to the Detroit Red Wings. It, it was five games, but but every game it felt like went to overtime and double overtime. And I remember Ed Belfour couldn't even be in it. Those, those traditions are so wonderful. But then, of course, the other 
is that when a team wins the Stanley Cup, every player gets one day to celebrate with the Cup, and those stories are frequently legendary. Of those, what is your favorite? What is your personal favorite story of a Stanley Cup celebration? Um, the Devils were the first ones to make sure that every player hmm. and every staff member got to use the, got their day with the Cup, and that was in 1995. Um, one of my favorite stories is before that time, when um, some of the players got the cup and some didn't, but in uh, 1991, Paul Martha, who was a longtime Pittsburgh Steeler, but was also in the hierarchy of the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, was not going to get the cup. He's, he had a, some reason that he couldn't take it for a couple of days. And so Phil Bork, who was a player for the Pittsburgh Penguins, had it for an extra day. <laughs> uh, Phil had a garage. He also had tools in his garage <laughs> and he got curious. And so he uh, he turned the cup upside down and he realized that there were screws underneath there that matched some of the tools that he had. And so he uh, he took the cup apart from the underside and he learned a lot about the history of the people who had actually worked on the cup before because they had engraved their names on the underside of the bowl. Mm. And since he had joined them in 1991, he added his name to the underside and then put the cup back together and all was well. He still does not know to this day whether anyone has discovered the fact that his name is on the underside of the cup as well as etched conventionally on the outside. But that's one of my favorite stories. And that occurred before everybody got their day with it. So Phil Bork is still a broadcaster. He works with Mike Lang, the legend uh, on radio in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Doc, I, I could do this <laughs> literally. I, I wish I had four hours. It is such an honor to have you. I can't tell you how excited people were when I told them that you were going to be here. The, the degree of reverence, respect, and, 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 and just good feelings that people have for you. I, I hope that that resonates for you. I hope you're aware of it. It's, it's a oh. pleasure to chat with you, and I hope we can do it again. Thank you so much. And, uh, and, and pass along to your cohorts to never forget George Hallis. <laughs> you better believe it. A he, Papa he intimidated Bear. officials and he gave his players only one ticket. That's what I'm, I, I understand. You got one ticket for the game. You didn't get enough for family. You got one. That was good for and, he, and So they had to pair up. Um, but they made money for a reason. George was watching carefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike Ditka used to say he would toss around nickels like they were manhole covers. And that was, that was <laughs> the famous quote. <laughs> That's it. Thank you so Greeny, much. It's wonderful to talk to you. Well, the, the honor is mind thank you for taking this time i hope we'll do it again thank you okay take, take care that's <laughs> the great you. doc emmerich with me here on es but what a thrill what a what an absolute joy and what a gentleman you know it is it is not a secret that that hockey is not one of the sports that i cover the most and i came by that honestly i, I grew up a sports fan in a family where we were incredibly passionate about sports and that was not one of the sports that i grew up around so i have learned hockey um, for the most part as an adult because I cover sports for a living. And so I remember a lot of the things that he's talking about. Certainly the 2010 finals game, the Sidney Crosby game, that was sort of the Sidney Crosby Olympics. Um, I remember that vividly and, and going all through the rest of it, the T.J. Oshie game I remember and all the rest of that. But just the the the, the regard with which he has held, the, the, the admiration with which he has held is really touching to me and it's something that I think everyone 
can and should aspire to in any field or endeavor, but to be the voice as he is for a sport for as long as he was, that was really a pleasure. So this week will continue. One more day tomorrow of this, and we will have Jim Nance tomorrow. We'll wrap up this week, and I'm told that we have for next week ready to go. Michael Wilbon will be with us. Um, Linda Cohn will be with us. I believe we have Ahmad Rashad. I believe we have Doris Burke. We're working on it as we go through, but we will continue to. It was going to be one week, and then all of a sudden people started returning our calls, and the next thing you know, it'll be another week, and what a thrill it will be to have all these legendary voices as we work our way through the end of this winter here on ESPN Radio. Hey, the college basketball season is heating up up and the wendy's wooden watch has begun if you go to espn.com and search wooden watch you'll see the list of the wooden award late season top 20 nominees including oklahoma state sensation cade cunningham he's playing tonight as they take on number three baylor that's seven eastern on espn2 the john r wooden award is presented by wendy's that kid i think is a block to be the first pick in the draft and people are talking about him as being a really special prospect so if you haven't seen him play yet play it you can check it out on espn2 uh, this was a wonderful day thank you for hanging out with me thank you for hanging out with the hashtag crew and we will reassemble and do it again tomorrow same time same place for get up first thing in the morning on espn and then back here on espn radio have a great day we'll see you tomorrow thanks for listening to greenie the podcast you can check out greenie live weekdays at noon eastern on espn radio and on espn plus also don't miss greenie on get up weekday mornings at 8 eastern on espn This is Greeny, the podcast.